0: Amen. Thank you so much. You can have a seat. Thank you for being here. Um, if you weren't here last week, uh, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that message. We're back in um, our study on the book of Acts. Uh, and last week, Ethan Fisher, our student pastor, jumped into, uh, back into this study um, in chapter 16. He talked about um, how the church at Philippi was really launched and, birthed and and how that went, um, and, and you saw three lives specifically last week that God chose to call and work through. Um, and if you were going to plant a church, um, there's a little bit of strategy that you would probably start to kind of formulate and build into. Um, but the, uh, the three individuals that really were the first three, I guess you call it members of this church, maybe not exactly um, how church strategy is taught these days, um, but it reminds us that, that what God does is He calls people. Um, And then he fills people with the Holy Spirit and salvation, and then he uses people um, for his glory and to communicate who he is. Um, So as we look at what God does and and we think about, well, what can God do in my life? Um, One of the dangers is, is when we start to put self-imposed limits on ourselves. And and for some of us, we we grew up and and just we we kind of experienced just different limitations um, and and kind of different things that kind of got in our way or kind of really wasn't exactly what we wanted and and we and we experienced these these small little challenges in life and 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 if we're not careful, um, our enemy Satan will will try to kind of build those together to get us kind of stuck. Um, and, and when I say small little limitations, um, sometimes I just I, I see certain ones, and, I, and, and they just make me laugh. Um, this week, I, was, I spent the week um, with my family at the beach last week. Um, great thing about the beach, if you haven't been to the beach this year, um, there's some great things that are still at the beach. The water, the waves, the sand, the wind, all that stuff that just kind of drowns out the noise of life. But there is a level of honesty at the beach that is just unparalleled, right? Um, like I have this year... Um, I, I've kind of adjusted my diet some, I haven't really exercised a lot, um, but I've lost a few pounds, so, you know, as I was going into the beach, um, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit better than I've been the last couple of years about how um, I may present myself in true honesty once I hit the sand, you know what I'm saying? In other words, how are you going to look at a bathing suit, right? Like, that's honesty, and, and I got out there and I, and, and I realized I'm still not fully in love with the honesty that I'm showing, um, but comparative honesty I was, I was at a C-plus, okay? So, like, of the, of the beach that we went to was not doing that bad. Um, but but there's, there's unique things that we did with growing up. And one of them, as I was at the beach this last week, saw a guy with a T-shirt. Um, and, and I'll explain the full image on the T-shirt. But part of what was on that T-shirt was this. You know what this is? What is this? A cassette tape or just a tape. Some of y'all just may already be dreaming that it's a mixtape, and you just want to get your hands on it after the service and see what's on this tape. This, this tape has nothing on it. It's blank. I um, actually ordered it off Amazon this week just to make sure that I had a sermon illustration because I was at the beach. Um, but, but one of the things on his t-shirt was a cassette tape. Now, um, I've realized at this point, um, there's two other guys that are here on staff with me. And, and I'm not impossibly older than them, but I've realized we have some different life experiences. There's some critical experiences that divide myself um, and Dale and Ethan. And I've discovered this. Now, generational specifics. For some of you, um, I, so my childhood was was um, figuring out eight tracks with my grandparents and not really knowing why you would build an eight track player into a keyboard, but like that's how they played their music. Um, eight tracks records, like we had a lot of records and we had a lot of cassette tapes. Like this is what mainly people trusted us with when, when I was when I was young. Now we, I, I'm, I, I believe, my generation wants to. We we can claim the mixtape. All right, you know what a mixtape is. See. There's this thing, if you're old enough to go, yeah, yeah I had tons of tapes. Well, if you're, if you're just old enough, you bought the tapes you wanted and you listened to them without dreaming big dreams. So I, I think like stuff like digital music really was birthed out of like my generation because we were not satisfied with just, well, that's what's on the album, that's what's on the tape, that's what's on the radio. Like we were like, no, we want to create what we want and we want to package it. So what we would do is, and I don't know if you do it the same way I did, but this is what we would do. Um, we, would, we would put this, and I would put this in a small um, tape recorder and just kneel down beside the speaker while the radio was on, just waiting. You didn't really know what was coming most of the time, but you just sat there with your thumb on the record button, hoping that, because you didn't even realize this, you had 90% of your music, you missed the first 30 seconds. You didn't even know what the first 30, because like, now you hear songs and you have to wait through the first 30 seconds because you don't know what that first 30 seconds really and, and I would just, I'd sit there and just wait with my thumb on the record button. And for some of y'all, you're like, really? Yeah, really. If you, don't, if you didn't experience this and you're younger than me, that means you're a child, okay? So it, i just sit there with my thumb on the record button waiting for a song to come on that you wanted on that tape, and you hit it as quickly as you could. Now, if you're also like me, part of the challenge with that is you also have trouble recognizing certain songs because the actual versions don't have dishes clanking and doors shutting and random people yelling in your house. Um, I, I still, there's one part, if I hear Poison by Bell Bib DeVoe, I can still, there's one part in there that I'm waiting for my mom to put the dishes in like the rack beside the sink in like the apartment that we lived in because there's like this major clank wherever my original recording was. So this tape was on this guy's t shirt, but there was something else on the guy's t shirt with this tape. What is this? Why was the pencil on? The t-shirt with the tape some of y'all you're really confused you're like do you write on the tape like do you write no you stick the pencil in the tape because when it unwinds use the pencil to roll I see this guy walking down the street I stopped this man I don't know what he had going on on vacation but we had about a two-minute conversation and I just thanked him for that t-shirt and I I laughed and my sons look at me like I don't get it like why was it worth stopping that guy for the t-shirt I'm like guys you don't understand necessary flaws. So there's some challenges to the tape. One is if you went to church during the age of the tape you had somebody that came up and sang there was always that moment where they, they wouldn't start singing and they just followed the mistake with this. Uh, could you flip the tape over? Wrong side. Right? Like, so you, had to, you, you just flip it and you're like flip like you don't flip music. Yeah, you flip a tape you get a totally different thing. It's awesome. It's called side A, side B. But these tapes would, would like the, the tape in it would, would come out when you're pulling in and out, stuff like, it, you know, some, it would catch on something, and it would come out. But you didn't throw it away because it just it came out. You, you rolled it back in, and you tried to get it straight so it wouldn't have the wobble and all that stuff, but, but you'd kind of roll it back up. So this guy has it on his t-shirt, and, and immediately my mind goes, you know what, there's, just, there's certain necessary adjustments you make in life um, when, when you realize that, that things aren't worth throwing away, like things aren't worth giving up. Um, and, and today we're going to be in Acts chapter 16. And this is just a really silly illustration um, for, for these moments in Acts 17 that we're going to look at today. Because in, in Christ, life is never worth giving up on. Um, a walk with Jesus Christ, even though challenging, even though it has some kind of natural design flaws, it seems almost like, why, why, should, why is it not easier than this? We kind of get frustrated with what it seems to be built like. It, it's, it's never worth giving up on. But there are some necessary adjustments that we need to make. And, and out of Acts 17, as I've studied this over the last couple weeks um, and, and have before, but just kind of really digging in intentionally over the last couple weeks, there, there's three questions that will be up on the screen at some point. And these are three questions that I just, as far as notes go, all I did, honestly, is I just switched the pronouns from I because I, I, was, I felt like these were questions that the Lord was really posing in my heart and I just switched the, the pronouns to sound like you, um, and, and I'm not aiming these questions at you this morning. Um, I, I promise you, I can, I can show you some of the journaling that I've done and, and, and talk to you about some of the conversations as, as, as I've really tried to dig into this, and, 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 and I've heard these questions really kind of come at me from the Lord um, for my life and really try to wrestle through with these, and, 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 I, and I hope as you hear them and, and really see some of the truth that's in here, you, you'll realize that... That maybe some of these, or at least one of these, are a question that you can take with you, and 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 really, it's worth kind of the wrestling of this, um, because this life is not worth giving up on. It's not worth backing away from. It's not worth um, sliding into anything other than just really a a constant growth season, right? And and growth doesn't always come super easy. We know now. Acts 17, coming out of um verse, um, coming out of chapter 16. In Acts 17, there's some there's some there's two more churches that, that we know get birth. Now there's three major stops in Acts 17 that Paul makes, but but we know for sure that this is the moment of birthing for two of the churches. One, um, if you ever read First and Second Thessalonians, um, he spent some time in Thessalonica, and out of out of that particular city, this church is birthed. He's not there really long. It doesn't seem we don't know exactly how long he spent there. But he definitely ran into some trouble there. Uh, and if you notice, that's kind of the pattern that Paul seems to, seems to run up on. And if you really go back, though, and read the four Gospels that contain the life and, and story of Jesus Christ, he runs into the, some of the same kind of patterns um, when, when, he, when he meets people and really tries to explain the truth of God's Word and his workings to them. Um, but, but Thessalonica was, was a huge city, second largest city at this time in their culture um, in all of Greece then he goes uh, to Berea, and they, there's a church plant there. It goes a little bit better there, but trouble kind of tracks and follows a little bit. Um, there's two cities specifically. If you take time to read Acts 17, all of it verse by verse, you'll, you'll pick up two names of cities that, that it says basically Paul passed through. Now, I would encourage you to go back. if you Again, if you hadn't heard last week's message, make sure that you listen to it and also study 16 and 17 together because... There's this thing of how the Holy Spirit leads you um, through certain doors to certain places. But, but there are other places that the Lord doesn't lead you to. Now, 17, I believe, kind of presents a pretty unique point. Because as a perspective, these two cities are major hubs of communication. And a lot of people traveling through them. So strategically, if you were just looking at it as how, how, how can we maybe be effective, these two cities would have definitely been on your go-to list of places that you would want to go plant a church. I mean, that that we kind of seem to be in a, a a generation of church planting. And and this would be two places that you definitely would go, especially realizing that it was it was really void of the gospel. But for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit led Paul specifically to some places. And and as a believer, isn't that tough sometimes when, when, when you see opportunities and you go, well, Lord, why not there? Why not that? Why not them? And 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 we we just Kind of come to realize that he's leading us somewhere different, man. Sometimes an open door, right? Sometimes an open door is just simply that—an open door. We're kind of we're, we're kind of meant to get a glimpse inside, but it's not our door to travel through. And that's 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 the maturing as we walk with the Holy Spirit, how to figure out which doors are are open to us or which doors are just open for us to kind of catch a glimpse. But as, as he passed over these two cities, um, he goes into um, Thessalonica, then Berea. And then ultimately in the Athens, where we have this this message that we're going to read part of today. This just uh, I mean it's it's a phenomenal address to specific people over kind of their major life, religion, faith hangups. Okay. Now the first thing I want to do though is is I want to start a little bit at the beginning of 17 because this is something that it repeats itself throughout this chapter. So I just want to kind of go into one example of it. And the example that I'm going to read about is is some of um the mixed results that Paul saw when he went in and he shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, so I'm going to read verses 4 through 9. It says this, Some of them, and this is, just, this is about the audience that heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a large number of God-fearing Greeks as well as a number of leading women. Uh, Paul, um, th- through Paul's life here, through the writing of Luke, we, we see some emphasis that the gospel was reaching men and women. Because if when you go back to even some of the miracles of Jesus, we saw peaks into a culture that minimized women and, and kind of maximized um, the men as far as who they considered to really have a voice. So the gospel um, d- does not play favorites. It shows favor of God to all. But, but God shows favor to all, men and women. There's different roles, but, but there's grace to everyone. Um, but the Jews became jealous, it says, and they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace. They formed a mob, started a riot in the city, attacking Jason's house. Jason's house was, was likely, um, he's probably somebody who maybe shared the same tent-making trade as Paul, um, or he, he was one of the first believers in that town. He, he had stayed there long enough to kind of form a bond, a connection with this guy. Here's, this is the guy's house they were staying at. It says, they searched for them to bring them out, to the public assembly. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials, shouting, these men have turned the world upside down and they've come here too. And Jason has welcomed them. They are all acting contrary to Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king, Jesus. The crowd and city officials who heard these things were upset after taking a security bond from Jason and the others, they released him. So here's, here's kind of basically what happened. Paul comes in minister of the gospel he shares just the love of God through Jesus Christ the way to salvation the way to know God he just shares here's how to be in a relationship with God through Jesus and and for most of us man we 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 participate in that we give and fund that we 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 love to see that we champion that cause man we cheer and we clap and we shout when we know that someone is sharing the gospel So so we're kind of usually in the mode of, hey, that always should be received well. Because our our kind of immediate response is, well, if someone shared the gospel, what were the responses? We kind of jump to the responses. Because we are, I think, in our nature, kind of driven towards wanting to evaluate and gauge success. When sometimes my fear is we forget that the gospel's great success is that it's true. That Jesus Christ did pay for sin representatively by his death and, and fully satisfying God and, and through his physical resurrection gives us new life now and through eternity. The success of the gospel is that it's true and that it gets shared. So I want to ask you a question. And this is the first one to be on the screen. Just simply this: in, in life, how, how do you gauge success? How do you gauge success? Now, um, for some of us, we, we look at different, um, different images that we see, right? Uh, for instance, we may gauge success based on a comparison between ourselves and, and who else we socialize with and we go over to their house and then we kind of come back home and look at our house um, or, or we, we compare on social media or, or it's someone that started in a job the same time that we did and we kind of look at or where are they compared to where are we? we. We do comparative success. Maybe we went to high school with them, to college with them, and we, we kind of see where they are versus where we are, and, and, and we kind of measure that up. We, we, we struggle with comparative success. And I say it all the time. Comparison is one of the biggest joy robbers that exist on this planet. It really, really is. We have to be so careful as believers that we don't because here, here's the danger of here's the danger of comparison. Um it 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 won't just it won't just inward, inwardly challenge and sadden us and frustrate us. It it will also um, embitter us, and bitter us, in at times, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we should just be gracious and loving to and, and happy for, it will, it will change our heart even towards them, right? It's a, it's, it's a difficult thing. Sometimes we, we gauge um, success based on relationships. How well is our relationship going versus how well we think it ought to be going? Uh, we may gauge success on our own net gains. H- how much effort am I putting in versus what I'm receiving? Now, I don't know about you, but 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 I like I like net gain success when I have to put in very little and I get a whole lot, right? Right? Like slot machine success. Put one quarter in, boom, pull the slot, it floods, right? Like, isn't that kind of success pretty nice, pretty enjoyable? We don't always find it very often. We, we look at net gain success. So, so the way that we gauge success, very, very, very critical. When you look at Paul and, and you see what happens, the early church and Paul. Has this, has this amazing contentment with, men share the gospel, experience all that goes with that. And, and the trusting is, and, and I don't mean this nonchalantly, but yes, some will believe and some will be committed and some will be true followers of Jesus, and, and some won't, they'll reject it. And, and that's, that's taught by Jesus himself. He, he, he talked constantly about there will be those that will believe, but there will be others that will just reject. They won't listen, and, and, and they'll cover their ears. They'll, they'll reject me. They'll say no. And, and to be a faithful follower who, who lives with, with Jesus in them, the Holy Spirit in them well, we're going to have to make necessary adjustments on how we gauge success. You know, right now, um, as, as we were on vacation um, my my mind was was constantly trying to jump into man man what needs to be planned and and what 's the next event and who who do I need to contact uh, my My brain kept going into the 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 work job part of of church mode right and 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 I know that you know jobs are jobs, and we all kind of tend to either want to just have to push back a little bit or we or we kind of keep getting pulled in. Wendy starts um Teacher workdays tomorrow. My wife starts teacher workdays tomorrow, so she is like she's online. She's looking at Pinterest and all this. Like she's she's in teacher mode, and and she's already thinking about like what is it gonna what is it gonna look like and need to look like to start well in that classroom. And and so much of that is again, it goes back to comparison, seeing what other people do, and 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 we're we're just we're so. Both of us we're so in this mode of, just throwing expectations on top of ourselves, that you, you start getting that heavy feeling, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like that overwhelmed feeling like this is not, like there's no way I can succeed right now because I'm already so far behind. And man, I like I I, I did that even looking at my kids, like just the time that we spent with the boys. So when, when it comes to how do we gauge success, as believers we're going to have to back up for a second and, and take... Take, some, take some, some wisdom here from Paul and just say, Lord, I, like results. I've got to trust you more with results and just find contentment in obedience. Just find contentment in that, that this was the door that I was supposed to walk through. I did. I, I, I shared the message that you put on my heart. And, and, and I, will, I will then engage with the results that you show me. But ultimately, God, that's you working. Now, spiritually, we look at that and go, okay, that makes sense. But but that applies because spiritual life isn't just this wedge of the pie. It's it's everything. It's it's life. If we're spirit-filled believers, every conversation, every day at work, everything is spiritual life because it's our life. So sometimes we have to do this. We have to journal down. All right, what are the expectations? How am I gauging success? What are the things that are frustrating me? And then take those to the Lord and say, Lord, help me with these. Show me, teach me, sit down with another believer that's that's a little farther in their maturity walk with Christ, and and ask them how they've dealt with that struggle, and 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 learn from how God's worked in their life as well. How do you, how do you gauge success? Paul um, Paul had a lot of results in front of him, but he did so well. Um, there's usually two ways that I think we struggle with success. Either one, we 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 feel like a failure, we feel like we're not doing enough, or um, we we overcompensate because we get a little bit too much ego when we get really confident in the things that we really do well. Does that make sense? Because uh, in the middle ground is 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 a lot of contentment, and I I typically find that I'm either overconfident because I think, hey, I've got this. This is a this is something that I can do well, or I, I'm just I'm self-deprecating because I'm beating myself up over something. This is a prayer um, that a writer Greg Morris. Um, and in, in, in one of his writings, I just I I I, refer, I I copied down this this portion of a prayer that he wrote. This is not directly out of scripture. It's just a kind of a confession of his heart that he shared in one of his books. Um, and, and I want to read this to you because um, this I thought gives a pretty healthy perspective on, on on really how we can seek the Lord to help us with this. It, it says this: Lord, spare me from the success that would threaten to undo me. Not all victories are good victories. Not all triumphs will lead me home. Keep me from those achievements that would puff me up. Those accomplishments that would tempt me to forget you. You've taught me to pray. Lead me not into temptation. How, now, how, um, now show that I've come to realize the wisdom in all that might mean. But now, seeing my goals and hopes and proper scope, I ask you to do what is best, even if that means the death of my dreams." Not to me, O oh God, not to me, but to your name give glory, that your steadfast love and faithfulness might be put on display. I want to go to um, a, a little bit farther down in, in Acts 17 to see this next question. Um, we're, and we're kind of stepping over some of the trouble that followed Paul. So, so Jason, this guy, he was kind of collateral damage. Um, he basically had to post a bond for himself. Um, and, and others had to do that. And, and this mob that you, that, that you think, okay, they're, they're angry, they're kind of starting to riot. Paul left the city. And, and you know how sometimes you just feel like, okay, I just got to leave my, my problems behind. Like, I got to leave people behind. You ever notice that that drama just kind of follows you? Like, it just attack, like it's, you feel like, it must, is it on the back of my heel? Like a nagging piece of toilet paper that comes out of the bathroom with me, right? Like, it, why, why is this thing just following me? It follows him to Berea. Um, things are going well there. Um, the gospel has taken root in people's lives, and all of a sudden, a few of these people that were so angry show up and start drama all over again. Man, the, like the Bible, sometimes I think we, we, we cheat the Bible on going to it for the depth of resource that it is. I mean, there's so many times that we deal with a, a life situation like that, and we, and we don't dive into God's Word because we, we, we assume that, 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 man, surely Paul lived above all that. No, he, he lived that. He walked that walk. After he leaves there, he gets rushed off to um, Athens. Because now they're not just angry, they're coming for his life. He gets rushed off to Athens. So now he's in a city a lot farther away, and he's in a new and different culture. And there's some things that, that's really captured his eyes. And I want to start reading um, uh, this to you in verse 16. It says that while Paul was waiting on them in Athens. That's, that's waiting on Silas and Timothy to rejoin him. While he was waiting on them in Athens... He was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worship God as well as in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Paul went into a culture. Paul is what we call a monotheist. In other words, he believed in one true God. Athens was kind of a shell of its former, former glory, but it was, a, it was an art center. And, and what you really should be absorbing as you walk down the streets is just the beautiful architecture, the amazing art that was still there. Um, there was a lot of people there that were scholars. They did a lot of debating, a lot of thinkers in Athens still living there. Um, and, and Paul just walking the streets, waiting on two of his very good friends in ministry to get there, he, he's, he's consumed because he's seeing evidence that, that his monotheism, his belief in one true and holy God... Is, is being absolutely, not, not challenged personally, but, but the idea of that is being challenged for, for everyone in that culture be, because they were very pantheists. They, they, they believed in a whole lot of gods. I mean, In, in fact, um, in, in the speech that he gives, he even references this, this statue that's literally labeled, to the unknown God. The, their search for religion, their search um, for a deity that would bless them the way they wanted to be blessed, was so broad and so wide that they started getting very um, insecure about, well, have we discovered all the gods? Well, I, how can they know if they've discovered all of them if they think there's millions? So they just said, well, how can we kind of sum this up in one statue? Let's just, let's just have a generic god here for, to represent everybody that we may have missed out. This is the culture that he's living in. And and, and he is deeply moved. This word here doesn't just mean, okay, he was a little frustrated or he took notice. It means that he was provoked, that he was disturbed, that he was deeply distressed. Because when he saw evidence, he saw these idols. This idol just represented the bigger spiritual issue that was going on in these people's lives. They were so thin spiritually that that their life was tearing apart. And he saw this evidence and, and as he just literally walked the streets, he, he, he's, he's so disturbed and so distressed that he's provoked into doing what going around and just you know talking bad about them bashing their theology or anything no he's provoked to go in what it says in verse 17. so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews that were there and who worshiped God as well as in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there He, he, he didn't just go into the church crowd he went into just Common areas of business where life was happening. And he was engaging people in conversations to talk to them about this great spiritual struggle that he saw evidence of. Now, um, I, well, let me go ahead and put this question on, on the screen. And, and and I really want you to think through this. Um, what moves and provokes you deeply? What moves and provokes you deeply? Now, um, here, here's the evidence of what I've seen in my life. I will always... Talk about, dwell on, and put a lot of energy verbally, emotionally, physically into the things that deeply disturb me and provoke. Because that, those are things that are provokers in life. And, and, and whether it's healthy or not, man, I will let mental energy and conversations and so many things just, just dive deep and stay there for what really it seems like an eternity because I, I lose track of time when I'm dwelling on this kind of stuff. You, you know what I mean? Like when it just gets so involved in, in, in that energy that we just, we pour out because something just really deeply bothers us. The, the things that deeply bother us and distress us and the things that grieve us and our and in our souls, and in and our attitudes, in our ideals of life, those are the things that we will get provoked to spend time and energy on. It, it's, just like Paul here, it, it's almost like he sees it, it affects him, and then just because of that effect, something then gets initiated. I, I would I would propose to you that the things that, that deeply distress you the most are the things that you're most likely to read and study about, talk about in, in endless conversations, um, stay up at night dwelling on over and over and over again, get up in the morning, it's the first thing on your brain. It, it's... It, those are the things that we, we see cycle through us so much and just occupy so much time. Um, I, for me, here's, here's what I notice. Sometimes I'll have this moment where I feel like God kind of just shows me myself, and I'll kind of stop and go, how many times have I had this same conversation? And I'll look at somebody I'm talking to, often my wife, and, and I'll see concern but I will kind of see her nodding more because it's details that I've already gone over a million times. And so I take that thing and I go, okay, is there any joy in this? Like, do, God, is, 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 I, I, I've dissected the bad and the aggravating as much as I possibly can. Is anything happening, though? Have I seen, ha, God, have I seen you show me? Have I, have I really taken it to you or I've just really held it myself and let it provoke me? And use my time and use my energies. Have I really brought this to you for kingdom use and and for you to help grow me? And have I? That's a necessary change. That's a necessary shift when we see these things. And and for us to take time to really self-examine for what what moves me, what provokes me deeply. I mean, and, and because that's where I'm going to put time and energy. And and when we look at our life and go, God, like nothing moves me deeply that involves you, if, if, we, if we see that, that, that can be scary. But it's a moment where we can really seek God and say, okay, God, number one, let, let's work through the checklist. Lord, is, is there evidence? Do I know that I have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ? And if the answer is no, then, then, then God has called me to salvation. If the answer is yes, then okay, God, then, then I have occupied myself with me so much that I've taken so much of my focus off of you that, Lord, I, I've got to put that focus back on you. I've got to bring you these things. B- because if, if there's nothing about you and your work that's moving me deeply and provoking me to be part of what that work is, then, then Lord, th- there, there are changes that I can go through. There are, there are things that I can do to participate in this life with you. Because I believe that Satan, our enemy, would like nothing more than for us to get stuck on certain things. That listen, Hang with me, because I'm including me in this, okay? So if I can just say we, if that's okay, just for a second. If you feel offended by the statement, I apologize after the service. I'm a great apologizer. You can ask my wife. Um, But but I think our enemy, Satan, would like nothing more than for us to get consumed with things that that we're actually right about. Because that feeds our pride, and then pride U-turns us into actual um, sins, wrong attitudes. Remember, we're we're right about what we're provoked about, but we went a wrong direction with it. Again, I'm free to apologize after service. I'm I'm not bashful about that at all. There's two crowds of people that, that, that are in this, okay? And, and just to kind of give you a brief understanding of who these people are, um, there, there's two crowds that, that make up this group that, that Paul's getting ready to talk to. Uh, one goes by um, the term Epicureans. Um, these people believed, they didn't deny the existence of, of, of a god or gods, but they just believed in basically everything's material. In other words, there might be a design, a creator out there, or creators, but but basically once life gets going, um, that, that's all it is. You're born and then you die, and after you die, that's it. That, that's who they were. There were others in the crowds that went by this term, Stoics. Now, they believed in active gods but they believed there were a lot of gods active and they believed that ultimately um if, if you were smart enough and you pursued hard enough that you could discover this divine truth this this light that lived inside of you that you could just self-discover anything and, it, and it's so funny because in their culture they use the greek word logos for, for this, this, this divine spark that was inside of all people, this, this revelatory truth. And, and, and if you go back to John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning there was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's the same word, logos. See, see as Paul started this message, he realized, Hey, hey these people who feel like they can just kind of come up with their own truth, the, when, their greatest spiritual obstacle is they haven't met the one that is truth. Right, Because remember, he, he's, 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 he's distressed about this great spiritual need that he sees, so he's provoked into going and addressing people and having conversations. Now, there's one, there's one public address that he has, and I want to read a little bit of that right now. I'm going to, I'm going to go down into verse 22 um, in, in, in chapter 17 and, and read some of these verses because there's one really um, critical part in here that I want to stay on for a minute. But, but I will tell you this. If you, if you study this sermon, take the life issues that both of these groups have, Paul, through, through the grace and gifting of the Holy Spirit, he, he communicated how Jesus was the answer to their life problems in amazing ways. And if you're anything like me, sometimes we, and I'll use that word again, we, we stress over, am I actually going to say this right if I really step out there for Jesus? Like, am, am I going to be able to communicate like other communicators that I listen to? Man, when God shows you something, especially a spiritual need in somebody's life, and that provokes you to act in that way, remember, Paul had the same Holy Spirit, the same amount and same quality in him working that we have. So trust your ability. When, when, when you ground yourself in Scripture and your desires to please the Lord, trust yourself in the level of conversations that you can and will have with people that, that especially desperately need them. Paul, I don't believe, carried the responsibility of, I'm going to answer all their questions. He just wanted to show them how Jesus responded to the spiritual needs of their life. Remember, because he had to trust the results. He wasn't gauging his success based on the numbers. It just says so many times, there are some that believed and there were some that didn't. It says, Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I say that you are extremely religious in every respect for I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship. I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. In other words, this is what he says, the the very God that you don't know, good news, I'm getting ready to introduce him to you. He says, therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the word the world and everything in it he is the lord of heaven and earth does he does not live in shrines made by hands neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things now from this point down paul articulates how sin is original because it happened in adam and he talks about how we're offspring of God. And as offspring, we're supposed to reflect his nature. We're not supposed to create truth in our own hearts. He, he goes down and he, he answers all these things. But, but, but I want to I go back again and read this. This is how Paul describes God. The God who made the world and everything in it. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives everyone life, breath, and all things. At this point, we have to remember, and we really can't forget, where Paul began. Paul began as a hater of Christians. When Paul came to Christ, he was traveling on a specific road where he was going to go find believers in Jesus Christ, and he was going to capture them, he was going to present them for the crimes that he felt like they committed, and he was out to punish them, and if he could, have them stoned. Paul has become everything that he hated. Why did he hate Christians so much? Have you ever really thought about that? Why did Paul hate Christians so much? You know know I believe why? When you look at Paul's Jewish heritage, Paul grew up in a heritage where there was a temple that was built. And, and and over, and over generations, the, the understanding was we built this temple and we come there and we worship God. So, so out of our creation, we have worship and, and there was a process to all these things. And, and Paul would, me, would memorize so much scripture out of the Old Testament. And, and, and he would just know these passages, memorize them, and, and, and they would interpret law themselves. And they would, they would hang that over people and that interpretation of the law in a way that would just cripple them and their desire to really serve and follow God and worship Him. And and Paul was somebody who felt like, man, out of who I am and what I can do, that makes me worthy of, of knowing God. That makes me worthy of being in His presence. And the gospel meant he was wrong. The gospel meant he was wrong about everything. All the attitudes in his heart. The idea that he was good enough to stand before a perfect and holy God. It meant that he was wrong in how he treated people. It just meant that he was wrong. Do you, do you lie? If somebody just came up and presented you with, with, with just this message, hey, you're wrong, do you just go, thank you for telling me that? Really appreciate that. I needed that in my soul today. I needed to know how wrong I was. Now we, we tend to really push back off that. If somebody starts a disagreement, an argument with you, and their opening phrase is, I just think you're wrong. What what do you normally do? You get on the defensive. And and this was played out in an extreme way in Paul's life because the gospel meant he was wrong. But the gospel also made the greatest change in Paul that could ever be made. How big of a change? He became what he hated. He became what he hated. that's, That's, I think, a short description of the measure of the change that God had worked out in his life. And and when I say he became what he hated, he didn't become anything horrible. He didn't become a murderer. He didn't become a liar. He He didn't become the things that we should have righteous anger towards. He became really what his misunderstanding about God was. And for him to stand in front of these people and say, hey, listen, like, He's not, he, 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 you can't put him in a box. God doesn't stay inside your box. That, that's not where he lives. See, see when, the, when, the, when the temple was, was given and, the, and, the, and the, the whole idea of the temple was given to the children of Israel in the Old Testament, it, it wasn't that they could build anything that would represent God. God just said simply, build this. This represents my holiness. And, and when you build this, here's my gift to you. I'm going to show up. I'm, I'm going I'm to come there. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be there with you. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, is is one of the three in the Trinity. When we had relational need to be able to know God and and we're we're unable to keep all these rules and and live a perfect life, we just have sin in us, What, what, what does God do? He shows up in Jesus Christ in salvation. But, but then we commit our lives to him, right? Like we, we say, God, I want to follow you. I want to live this life for you. I want to I live this Jesus lifestyle. I want to do that. So what does God do then? Does he give us anything that just represents or is a reminder of him? No. He shows up again through the Holy Spirit and dwells in us for the rest of our life. The real God of the gospel doesn't give us anything to represent him. He shows up himself. That's why when the Bible talks about sexual sin, it's such a big deal because it says that that we literally take the Holy Spirit into that sin because he dwells in us. Like God's presence is real for a believer in Jesus Christ. It's real. And as Paul worked through this, and and this is just the last question that I want to share with you, which is just simply this. has, Has the great change in you become evident in the fruit growing from you? I'll use this example. Um, is the way that I parent, is the way that I parent, reflective of I'm a new creation in Christ? PS, it's not, um, but but it needs to be. Is is the way the way that we have conversations with people? Is it a reflection that we are a new creation in Christ? Now, i I'm, I, I think for me, the, this is where when I see a question like this, and when the pronouns were just on me the past couple of weeks that's where i read that question i go okay lord the the problem isn't that you haven't made a great change in me it's that i need to reflect that and show that more and i need to grow you know galatians 5 if you've never studied it for the holy spirit um study that because that, that that's a great list of things to say okay is that present in my life that shows that the great change in me has become the fruit that is growing from me but but when i think about okay what is life really like all right lord it's not that you haven't made a great change. It's, it's that it has, I have not allowed it enough to consume this particular aspect of my life and be reflected in it. You know, so many times I think we really struggle and we really don't kind of re- we don't really grab onto this, this understanding of what does it mean to really show Christ. It, it just means that, that, that being a new creation is, sh- shows up in the way I had a conversation at work. Being a new creation in Jesus shows up in the way I responded to somebody when they frustrated me. Being a new creation in Jesus shows up when um, I I had every right to lose my temper as a parent, but I I spoke in grace with truth and love and and even punished in a way that allowed for restoration even in my own kids. Has the great change in me become the evident and the fruit growing from me? Um... I want to end with um, just a quick, a, a quick thing that, that I've I've already actually passed over in this passage. In 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 these three questions, and um, these three questions, it, to 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 get answers on these, I mean, you think about it, how how am I gauging success? What moves and provokes me deeply? Is the great change in me becoming the fruit that comes from? To, to, to get some ideas on this, this is going to open up, okay, Lord, I, there, there's, there's, there's work for me to do. Okay? And, I, and I get that. So, so I, want to, I, want to, I want to use Paul's life example as an invitation for you right now, okay? So back when Paul was being pushed out and, 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 and beat on and, and threatened and almost brought to death, to the point of death, when, when, when all that was going on, He had people that would surround him and take him to safety, okay? So back earlier in the chapter, it says this, verse 14, then the brothers and sisters immediately sent Paul away to go to the coast. That's what all Christians do when they they, they need a minute. They go to the beach, okay? Same strategy here. Um, they, They took him away to go to the coast. But Silas and Timothy stayed on there. Okay, so so Silas and Timothy stayed back where the drama was hot. Paul was the most threatened, so so they got him away. Those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving instructions, now the instructions they would have received would have been from Paul, after receiving instructions for Silas and Timothy to come to him as quickly as possible, they departed. So so here's, here's kind of what was going on. There were people that showed up and were part of Paul's entourage, part of, they were part of the crowd, and they were taking Paul to safety, okay? So, so this seemed like a good enough situation, right? I mean, there were people there to help. Um, there were people there to help, um, and, and, and they took him to a place, and, and they were you know, responding to his needs and, and, and all these things. And, and the number was was certainly based on what we know as patterns in Scripture, the number of those people were certainly greater than just Paul and Silas. But Paul, in a moment of going, look, if, if, if life is really going to be gospel-centered, then, then I can't think, I can't pursue the things that make me comfortable. All these people that kind of think Paul's a rock star, and they're going to feed him and, and take care of him and, and, and take him to the beach and, and, and kind of make things, you know, eat, you know say, hey, it's all going to be good. Like, he, he, didn't, he didn't want to say, hey, let me just surround myself with people that are going to make me more comfortable about the way things are going. He said, listen, if, if I'm going to live gospel-centered, there, there are going to be some that respond, there's going to be some that are not. But in faithfulness... I need some people by my side that are going to be in this fight with me. They're going to be here on the good days. They're going to be here on the rough days. They got, they're going to have strengths that are going to be evident and be used while I'm weak, and then I'm going to be able to stand in for them when they're weak. Selfishly, selfishly, and, and I believe because it, we, we don't see God stopping this, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he, he allowed Paul to have enough boldness to say, you know what, i got, I got to change this environment. To what's going to make me stronger? Send me these two friends. Now, for Paul, that was going to, that was going to, that was the change in the environment that he needed to make him stronger. And and, and I want to tell you, and I, and I know this was just a really silly illustration to use today, but but I want to tell you that that you you can't throw away this life with Christ. If you know that you've committed to Jesus, that He's done something in you, that he, and He's made you a new creation. But, but because you're a new creation doesn't mean that, that all the ills of life are just going to absolutely su- subside. We know that. We, we, we embrace that. But, but, but I want you to be selfish and, 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 and just simply say, sometimes i got to make necessary corrections. i, I got to use tools in my life that may seem odd to some people to, to, to get things back in line, to get things where they should be. And I want to tell you this morning, like have the boldness. If there's there's something in an environment that you need to change, be bold enough about the gospel and and, and how it reigns over your life and gives you the grace of everything you need and is the call of of, of all that we're supposed to communicate. Be selfish enough to make the changes and call for the people that will be strong when you are weak and will be weak when you're strong, that will compliment you, that will serve beside you, that that, that will be the grace that, that, that you need when you know that you need it. If you need, to, if you need to reach out and have a counseling session with, with me or someone else. Or, or or you need to change the environments that you're spending a lot of time in. Or, or, or there's just more devotion, intentional time with the Lord. You need to take, be bold about the necessary changes <clears throat> that life requires. Be bold about those. You're not being selfish. You're being committed. You're being committed. Would you bow your heads for just a minute? This, this chapter in Acts 17, I really believe, brings us um, to some amazing questions. Because I, for myself, I, I, I do, some, in so many ways, I struggle with, with how to gauge success. You know, do, do, do you gauge it based on how people react to you? Do you, do you base it off of uh, attendance in something? You know, what, what, what do you really gauge success by? And, and that will be a struggle for us. So to be able to be at a place to where we can set some of those things and, and some of those ideas aside to just simply embrace faithfulness and really trusting God and being content that He controls results and He can do more than what we can do and He's, he's working no matter whether we see Him or not. Man, that that takes, that takes some time with Him. That takes some growth. That takes some, some energy. And I struggle too. I when, when I made a list, and the list was was kind of frighteningly long about things that that deeply disturbed me, that provoked me, and, and and it's it's not in a healthy way. It's 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 getting me to consume my time and energy and conversations and things that 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 really are not uplifting. They're not joy centered. They're not they're not they're not gospel driven. And and how to make that shift seems daunting. <clears throat> And and looking at life to see, you know, what has what what evidence is there that the great change has happened in salvation. Man, again, it, it these seem, sometimes these we can be tempted to look at these as mountains that we have to climb. But the hidden gem in this chapter is this invitation to be to be I don't know, I don't even know if this is a, a, a proper term, but righteously selfish. To know that in Christ you have the right to make the changes that you know need to be made and to ask for the help that you know that you need and and to seek the conversations and and the surroundings and the people that that you know that are going to be required to grow in this season of life. That doesn't mean you're running from the world. God, God opens those doors for us to engage and share. But He also shows us some other things that we can be assertive about. So my invitation is that we want to be a church family that is a family that, that will, will, will live life with you and have conversations and do counseling. But the prompting really is on each of our hearts. If you don't know that you have a relationship with Jesus, that you're saved, and that before you leave today, I, I want to ask you if you'll be bold enough to either come forward during this time where we sing or to find me, find someone else that can talk to you about what does it mean to be saved. That free gift of love and grace that Jesus gives. If there's something specific on your heart that you'd like to pray over or you'd like prayer, like someone to pray with you about, I want to invite you during this last song to come up and, and have prayer then or before you leave. But, but don't keep putting it off. Be bold about that prayer that you need with someone. Be selfish enough to ask for it. God gives you that permission. Lord, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Lord, help us in the ways that we need it most that maybe we're not even aware of. Lord, help us to ask the questions that need to be asked so that we're dealing with truth and honesty in our lives as we live. Lord, we pray for you, with you. God, you know that the kingdom is is great and is powerful. But it's not always clean and simple. So God, in every area of life, we believe that you have a purpose. But Lord, sometimes to find that purpose and to live that purpose out, Lord, we have to become bolder than what we've been. So God, I pray as we hear the mag- we've heard the magnitude of these questions today, Lord, that we'll realize the, the magnitude of the invitation of boldness. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you stand back up as we go into a time of worship and prayer?